Baseball season is around the corner, and we will be giving out our favorite futures picks on the Just Baseball show in the lead-up to opening day. To go along with that, BetMGM has a brand new offer for our listeners. Use code JUSTBASEBALL and place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. How to get this offer? Step one, download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Step two, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Step three, place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Step four, once you have placed a bet, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York and call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 21 plus only, please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that it expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL and get $150 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. Friday episode of the Just Baseball Show. Thank God we have baseball news to talk about. It feels like it's been a long time since we had baseball news. Tim Anderson, a one-year, $5 million deal with the Miami Marlins. Mitch Keller just got, just got extended, five years, $77 million. Gio Urshela got a nice little payday, one year, one and a half with the Tigers. We could talk about how he fills into a team that Peter is really excited for. Bad news out of Mets camp and the top 10 corner outfielders in Major League Baseball. We ranked 15. Tim Kelly kicked ass on an article. Go read it. It's in the episode description. Jack Peter, just baseball show again today, Friday, February 23rd. We are on the heels of Dodgers Padres. Happy opening day of spring training to the majority of baseball fans. Professional baseball is back. If you have been with us for the last week or so, chances are you've been watching college baseball, but it kind of feels good to have Joe Musgrove and Gavin Stone matching up on TV and we can watch it. I put out a tweet, spring training, baseball is back. Yes. That's all I had. Did you see the image? So I, I took a screenshot of your tweet, and then I texted you an image of Rob Lowe with a crudely pasted MLB logo on the hat and then an NCAA baseball logo right next to it. It's just starting to feel real. And, yes, I'm just rooting for baseball. I'm rooting for both teams to have fun. And, you know, spring training is exactly what it sounds like. Spring training. 
there's plenty of videos coming out about this guy hit a home run off this guy or this guy struck out this guy. They're all getting reps. Doesn't mean as much as what the media on social media is trying to make it out to be. They're training in the springtime to get ready for Major League Baseball on opening day. And I'm very excited. I just like watching it. Can I just give you the reason why people should not care one bit about what happens in these live ABs that you see on Twitter? Luis Arise whiffed against who? Sixto Sanchez. Let's stop caring about live yeah. ABs, for the love of God. Luis Arise is not whiffing against Sixto Sanchez on May 5th. Let, no, he's they're, not. They're, they're just working out shit, right? Everybody is. And it's just cool to see, right? But don't have big takeaways from these spring training ABs because we see it every single year. Some guys look great in spring training, and then you never hear from them again. Big stars struggling in spring, Jack. Then they start off April with 10 home runs. How many it times just is for training? How many times did Juan Soto punch out against Nestor Cortez? I think it was three, and then it went down to two. It might go up to eight again. And then I saw him go yard in a later live AB. It's just it's just for narratives, right? Like everybody's like, oh, is Juan Soto ready yet? Instead of like, look it's how good February 20th. February, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Ridiculous. <laughs> did you see his PlayStation controller, by the way? No, but he is. He does seem happy to be a Yankee, which makes me excited. Like Juan Soto is a New York Yankee. That's an awesome sentence from a Yankee fan. He's got a Yankee branded, like a, a Soto individualized branded PlayStation controller or like Xbox controller, whatever it is. It's like decaled up with Yankee shit. So he's a Yankee for life because of his video game controller. 100%. But I am kind of nervous that Steve Cohen is going to offer him $600 billion in the offseason. Not million, billion with a B. He probably will, and that's okay because the Yankees we'll can offer him 602 if they wanted. We actually have baseball news. You talked we about it at the beginning. Let's talk about real baseball news. We do. Tim Anderson is a Miami Marlin. I love this for TA. One year, $5 million to be the Marlins' primary shortstop. What does that mean for John Birdie, and Xavier Edwards, Vidal Brujan? We don't know yet. If they move one, okay, get it. TA is the primary guy there. Some notes on TA, statistically. This guy by WRC Plus was the worst qualified hitter in baseball last year. This guy by isolated power was the weakest hitter in baseball last year. Weaker than Miles Straw and Michael Garcia. By war, he was bottom five among qualified players in baseball last year. He was probably the worst position player in baseball a year ago. Avi Garcia. Avi Garcia, sure, but like he didn't qualify. He was true. He was that unavailable. TA was the worst available player in baseball last year. Having said that, and with an insane amount of bias, because he is my favorite active player in baseball, and he's going to Aram's favorite team, which is just crazy. And like that's that's really tough. If he's good, overall yeah. morale on this show is going to be sky high. If he stinks, overall morale on this show is going to be in the gutter. With so much bias attached to it, I love this deal for both sides. I just found it interesting that the best deal he could have gotten was one year, $5 million from the Miami Marlins. Like that doesn't feel like other teams were very confident in his services on the wrong side of 30, right? You went over the stats of how bad he's been 
last year, but he also wasn't very good the year before. And we look at the batting average and we say, yeah, this guy's a 300 hitter. That's kind of it, right? You'll be lucky to see 10 home runs from Tim Anderson this year. In the last two seasons, Tim Anderson has seven home runs, right? He seems to be a little far removed from even close to elite production. Now, could things change, right? Breath of fresh air, new scenery, big park. We've seen how good it is for contact-oriented hitters like Luis Arias. Could he refine something like that? And you said he was the worst available player, but Marcus Semien availability and Tim Anderson availability are two completely different things. Yes. We're looking at 100. His high is 153 games. That was back in 2018. Since then, he has not played more than 123 games in a season. And so he's available, not that available, and it hasn't been good production. And might I say, he's played exactly 123 games three times in the last five years. So it might be like a Jordan obsession, Jordan White Sox, whatever it is. He might yeah. just like the number 23, and he's like, all right, at 123, I'm going to stop. We're good. Um it is fascinating, but having said that, from you know, like from 2018 or from 2019, pardon, 2018 was not a great year, and I, I think that was the year that a lot of White Sox fans said, "Okay, what's the deal?" And that's when Moncada still had some shortstop pedigree. It was like, are we actually looking at Tim Anderson as the shortstop moving forward? He kind of seemed like the odd man out, much like Trevor Story was supposed to be for Brendan Rodgers. It's oh, we've got this top prospect coming up. Story's just a placeholder turns into way more than that and 2019 was the year that he turned into way more than that he had 335 he was a four and a half win player 2020 in 49 games was a two and a half win player and then 2021 in 123 games was a four and a half win player when this guy was on the field through 2021 he was looking like a superstar and joe buck said he should be the face of baseball because he's got the personality he's got the aura and dude he was backing it up production wise but you mentioned the step back in 22 the lack of availability he was playing hurt and then this past year was just a year from hell let's hope that the two-year stretch is behind him but there was enough to be okay with in 2022 to think that like instead of a two-year stretch of shit it was a year of okay and then a year of shit and that makes me feel a little bit better if I'm Bruce Sherman, if I'm Peter Bendix, saying, okay, even if we get 2022, we're all right with our shortstop being a two-win player if it looks like 300, and it looks like a 16% K rate. And, like, it's, you know, decent, okay, on-base skills, but, like, 15 bags or so. Like, last year was just horrible for him. But don't you view that as best case scenario, right? The market is the market. Austin Hedges makes a million dollars less this season. No, I, best case scenario. And he got paid like a backup shortstop. Let's get that abundantly clear. He got paid like a backup to start games. He went to Miami for the opportunity. I guarantee you there was another contending team that was willing to pay him four and a half, five million dollars to be a, a short end of the platoon shortstop. Was there? I bet there was. There could be. Apparently, what was it? The Angels and the Giants were two teams that were in on TA all offseason. The Giants have maybe Luciano coming up? Maybe. Right? So it's like, I bet the Giants offered him like four and a half to be the starting shortstop, and he was like, fine, I'll just take the most money. I think the market is the market, right? 
I don't think it was a money thing. Sorry, I was thinking about second base for the Angels. They don't really have a second baseman every day. I don't Luis think Rahifo, kind of. Yeah, but like TA, if TA was good, yeah. Renhifo yeah. is easily displaceable. Um, I I think he was looking for an everyday shortstop opportunity, and this was the closest thing he had to an everyday shortstop opportunity. You're telling me that the Dodgers wouldn't throw five mil at him to be the shortstop against left-handed pitching, and the shortstop against right-handed pitching is Gavin Lux. They didn't. They didn't. Like, like, they like yeah, it sounds like they should have, but they didn't, right? I think there's a reason that they didn't, right? If you go on the baseball savant, it's the bluest thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> entire life, right? If you were watching him last year, you saw a disaster, right? It wasn't like the numbers were lying to you. It was a disaster, right? And now the Marlins have the same defensive left side of the infield as the White Sox did with Jake Berger and Tim Anderson. We saw how that went, right? So my final question before we move on to the next topic. You should have seen the DMs and the tags and comment sections about my Miami Marlins bet, the under 78 and a half. And they said, oh, Peter, are you nervous now? Or should we wait? Is the line going to move? Newsflash, the line has not moved. And number two, coming from your end, a Tim Anderson is your favorite player in Major League Baseball, which I respect because when TA's on, TA is awesome. I'm not trying to disrespect him. I'm just trying to put it into, you know, the, yeah, what it is, right? So no, I'm curious, should, do you think... shouldn't move the line by four wins. Is that your question? Do you think you should move the line by a win? No, I don't think so. This is such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately game. And what has Tim Anderson done for the, the greater good of baseball lately? He's been the worst player in baseball. <laughs> he has seven home runs in two years. And I yeah, know he's not a home run guy, but he has... Last he year, won. that's the thing. Six of them were in 2022. He it's was the worst player in baseball last year. And in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately game, he has been the worst player in baseball lately. So he shouldn't move the line. There's a chance he stinks, and there's a chance this is a sunk cost. I saw a lot of the Gene Segura comps on Twitter. And frankly, those are okay. Because Segura and TA's previous two years coming into their Marlins deal are pretty similar. You have to be okay with this sucking. Yeah, and Segura didn't last the entire season. That's the thing. So, TA could not last the entire season. But they're buying the idea that he can regain some of 2019 through 2021. I love Optimistic Jack right now. I mean, this is great. He's like the one guy I'm optimistic for. (laughs) No, I mean, I... Yeah, I think it is good for the Marlins because John Birdie, right, going into last season, had played 46 professional games at shortstop, right? He played, I think, around 60 last year. He was playing all over the diamond. John Birdie is a fine player, right? But you're asking a 35-year-old career utility man to man shortstop for the entirety of the Answer. season. So now you have Birdie and Tim Anderson. Now, is that combo going to be great? Probably not. But can it get you through a season? Yeah. Overall, if, though, they paid Tim one Anderson year five reading. million dollars. Yes, if they paid one year five million dollars for Tim Anderson, they'll be fine regardless if it works or doesn't work. I think that's the main point here. Like, yeah. it's not a deal that kills them if he performs badly, and if he performs really well, who knows? Maybe the rest of the team isn't performing, and you could trade him at the deadline. There's a lot of different scenarios that this could take hold of. And what I will say is. 
he is a high risk signing because of the at bats that he will be taking. He is not a high risk signing because of the money and Miami not being willing to spend like whatever. Don't care. $5 million is not going to hamper anybody, anybody, any owner in baseball, all 30 teams can take a one year, $5 million flyer on a shortstop. So when you see high risk, high reward on social media, it it should be referring to the plate appearances, to the at-bats. It should not be referring to the financials. Financially, this is a low-risk, very high-reward contract. In terms of playing time, this is a very high-risk, very high-reward contract. Very high-reward. I've heard it twice. I'm down. It can't, what happens. He was a four-and-a-half-win player two <laughs> years ago. It's not like he's broken. He might be broken. But like... <laughs> We don't know. Again, you might have just I paid come five in, million I, dollars for four and a half war by Andy Barlett's fans. That's that's what Jack says. I admit it. And a reminder: <laughs> I come at this with so much bias; it's unbelievable. This is the one time you will experience insane bias from me. Your Derek Jeter, in relation to me, my favorite player, just signed a one-year, five million dollar deal with the Miami well, Marlins, and we're trying to spin it. Mark Burley is my Derek Jeter. <laughs> like, let's true. let's get that out of the way. Like it's Burley and then fifty pounds of shit, and then like Tim Anderson and the rest. Sammy Sosa is also up there with Burley. I will say, Aaron Aaron Judge basically just signed a one year five million dollar deal with the Marlins. For me, in my world, yes, yes, yes. Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani had a baby, and he signed a one year five million dollar deal with the Miami Marlins. Listeners of the Just Baseball Show, pour one out for Jack's world and the White Sox fans that listen. Pour one out. And I saw a YouTube comment. I like. I saw a YouTube comment on our last episode. It was like a White Sox fan. He's like, I'm also just nodding along. And then there was a, a teardrop like emoji. <laughs> I feel bad for you guys. I mean, like. Yeah, but I think there are way more White Sox fans than you would even ever care to admit that still love TA and are still rooting so freaking hard they should. for TA. As, I still as like TA. Should. I still yeah. like TA. I'm not a White Sox fan. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So it's time to listen, move on, though. Yeah, 100%. It may not work, but I'm rooting so freaking hard for him. Mitch Keller is another guy that is very easy to root for. By all accounts, he is an awesome dude. He's worked really hard. He's reinvented himself uh, several times over the course of his career. And we saw the tread videos where he was sitting 101. That's not Mitch Keller anymore. Mitch Keller is sinker slider, throw 200 innings. He's not going to punch out 12 per nine. But you know what? He's He's going to log a complete game shutout at some point like that's what he did last year he was an all-star did he have blow-up starts absolutely but mitch keller was just compensated appropriately for being back-to-back opening day starters for the pittsburgh pirates five-year 77 million dollar extension in the last two years they have handed out extensions to key brian hayes brian reynolds and mitch keller if i'm not mistaken those are three of if not the three largest contracts in Pittsburgh Pirates history. There yep. was an article in The Athletic two days ago that we'll get into next week. We'll get into the intricacies of all that that really didn't break any new information about the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's all been reported locally about like certain funds going to one place instead of the other. All that shit has been reported on. Like Jason Mackey, and the rest of that beat. Rob Beer Temple was great at the Athletic before they unfortunately let him go. All of this has been reported. Ken Rosenthal and Steven Nesbitt just like consolidated all of it and, and spit it out to the national media. Call the Pirates cheap all you want. 
nobody's going to argue with you. They are very frugal. Um, what they've done is they've ID'd three guys that they want as their pillars for the foreseeable future, and they have compensated them. Key might have been underpaid, but Reynolds and, and Mitch Keller, it feels like it have been compensated appropriately. I agree. I, I saw five years, $77 million for Mitch Keller, and I thought to myself, that's pretty cheap, right, for a guy who I think for the next five years – you can kind of say I'm going to get 175 in terms of innings, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get a four ERA with close to 200 strikeouts. Yes. That's valuable in this day and age. How many? Think to yourself right now. How many guys can you name like that? Right, and you could say, well, Mitch Keller doesn't deserve to be in that range, right? But in 2022, he's coming off about 159 innings at a 391, and in 2023, 194 innings at a 421. Right. So back to back seasons, he's been at the 160 or higher threshold, right? Or around there. That's valuable. And unless, you know, he doesn't come into the season with any injury concerns, right? He's a big body. He is 6'3, 220 pounds, starting pitching profile, you know, to a T, exactly what you want. He's developed that slider. He's got so many different pitches that he can go to. He's not one of these fastball slider guys who's just trying to throw 100 miles an hour, like you said, fastball sinker cutter sweeper he's got it all this is a guy who pirates fans should be happy to build around right brian reynolds and brian hayes as well the reason i give the pirates shit is they're not investing in their team outside of these guys but at the same time if i'm going to give them shit for not doing that i have to give them credit for paying their guys right there are plenty of teams right now in major league baseball who have players of this caliber on teams that are in a similar financial situation to the pirates who have chosen not to go this route. So I think Pirates fans, if I'm a Pirates fan sitting here today, I'm not over the moon, but I am intrigued by the direction of this franchise. Now, who knows? Maybe they, they're, this is the season of locking down their guys. They want to see what they have with O'Neill Cruz. They want to see what they have with Paul Skeens, and I assume it's going to be great. Maybe then those two are the next to sign extensions. And then once you have your core, once you know your payroll, then you can be more strategic. That might be the plan here. And then a couple more years of drafting well, right? Because the Pirates have done a pretty damn good job of that. Then yeah. you get Andy Rodriguez the year after, right? So you see it forming it's just slower than what I want it to be because I believe in the Pirates' direction. That's my main point. However, this signing did give me some relief about the Pirates moving forward. Yeah, I, I'm going to run you through their five-year plan. I, I'll i say three years from now. Let's play that game, okay? Opening day of 2026, all right? 24, 25. Yeah, opening day 2026. Let's play that game. Maybe 2027, but in that range. Maybe 2028. <laughs> maybe let's 2029 it, we might get to 2030 let's call it september 1st 2026 because i want to factor gonna... in some of the young guys too i do want to factor in some of the complex people do you think that we're even going to get to corner outfielders yeah i think so at some point. <laughs> no, i'm down i'm down with this i am because i want to see what your thinking is i mean you are the pirates guy so you're catching tandem if you have henry davis catch it all he will likely be your quote unquote. Probably backup. not, right? Probably not. Just okay. Oh, let's factor yep. him. Let's factor him into right field. Andy cool. Rodriguez is your catcher. Okay. Bang. Love it. First base, you know, wh- whoever you want there, you could call it Jared Triolo for the sake of the exercise. It's could be Henry Davis. Could be Henry Davis. I'm factoring Henry Davis into the outfield. 
The outfield looks like probably Henry Davis. I I mean Jack Sawinski, Brian Reynolds. Okay. Do you do you not like Jack Sawinski? I was I was assuming like I would pencil in Sawinski over like Henry Davis right now. The dude hits Jacks. Yeah, he strikes out a lot. Um he strikes out a lot. He hits Jacks and he plays decent defense. So let's call it Reynolds in left, Sawinski in center. I like it. And Henry Davis in right. Keep Brian Hayes at third, O'Neill Cruz at short. Call it Lee, call it Tamar Johnson at second base. All right. I love that. I'm in and right then now. Starting rotation, you're looking at Keller, you're looking at Skeens, you're looking at Jared Jones, Quinn Priester. Apparently, Rowanzi looks good again, which is very uh, exciting. No, but look at but, you getting stuff from spring training. But yeah, you're right. But <laughs> how about a Bubba Chandler or an Anthony Solomito? And then Bednar, you have to assume they extend that guy too. And they've found some gems in the bullpen a Kyle Necklace, a Carmen Majinski, a Colin Holderman. Dowry Moretta looks good for them. Like, they have something fun going on, and they've ID'd the three veteran leaders of that team that is loaded with pre-arb guys that are showing promise, and they've said, hey, you're a part of whatever this rebuild results in. Key, you're a pirate. Brian Reynolds, you're a pirate. Mitch Keller, you're a pirate. And I think they should do the same with Bednar. Probably. I wonder what deal you'd give Bednar. Would you give him a four-year deal? He's got, I think, three years of control left. Yeah, true. You'd probably buy him out of Arb. I think they. He's from there. He might just get a six-year deal and like take a discount. He might six-year deal for a closer. Why not? Okay, real quick before we get to corner outfield, Gio Urshela, one year, one and a half. This this can be lightning quick. The Tigers just got their primary third baseman. It seems they were going to run out some assortment of McKinstry and Veerling. Urshela is a better option than McKinstry at Reeling. Yeah. I, I, before we press the record button, we were going to talk about Kodai Senga, Tim Anderson, and Mitch Keller. And I just wanted to kind of scoot Gio Urshela in because we've been talking about the Tigers for a lot of this offseason and why I'm excited for them moving forward this year. And, you know, we mocked Isak Paredes to them. Obviously, you know, that was never going to actually come to fruition because I think there was some locker room problems there when the last time Paredes left Detroit, or that's all I heard from Detroit Tigers fans whenever we would mock them. I looked it up. It didn't seem as heavy as they were making it out to be, but there's obviously just something there. And then on top of it, do they really want to trade for a guy like that? Do they want to leverage prospects in order to get Isak Paredes? Could they sign Matt Chapman? I was just trying to figure out what third base was going to look like because I like Veerling when he's playing a bunch of different positions. I like Zach McKinstry when he's playing a bunch of different positions. I wanted them to have a legit third base option. Is Gio Urshela that legit third base option? Not really. Would I rather have Gio Urshela or Tim Anderson? One's been better than the other. And one is getting paid $1.5 million compared to another one's getting paid $5 million. Yeah, but So one I thought can... it was a very cheap deal to just get a relatively solid third baseman, right? If Gio Urshela is in your lineup hitting eighth, playing third, you're fine with it. The other thing is Tim was never going to play third, right? TA no, is no. shortstop second base. Like he's really just a shortstop. If he signed with the angels, he was going to sign as a second baseman. Good point. But like, man, Urshela is a third baseman that can get by at shortstop. And that's an important thing for Detroit too. If Javi Baez disappears and Hinch needs to, you know, like do the thing he did last year where it's like, 
Javi, dude, like you, you have to know how many outs there are. And instead of the rest of the game and the day after sitting him, he's like, you know what? I, I can't do this for a week. Urshela can play shortstop. Yes, he can, which is a good sign. So should we talk about third at a somewhat high level and like the availability at shortstop is, is a better thing for the Tigers than like anything Tim Anderson would have given them. Agreed. And it was a rounding error of a contract. One point one and a half million. I mean, that's nothing to these Correct. Teams. Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga. Fatigue. Oh, wait, can I say something first? <laughs> so I go to City Field almost more than I go to Yankee Stadium because a lot of my friends in New York are Mets fans. So they'll have tickets, right? You know, obviously I go to both stadiums a ton, but I went to City Field more this year than I did last year. I know the pain. This is the third year in a row where the Mets ace has had health issues going into the season. And you look at the current Mets rotation, and you think to yourself, God damn it. This team has a payroll over $300 million. And they're running out right now because Kodai Senga with shoulder fatigue is going to start the year on the IL. Jose Quintana is the number one. Tyler McGill, Luis Severino. This is the $300 million team. Now, you still have great players on offense. Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, the arrival of Francisco Alvarez. I think the offense is going to be fine. But if you are a Mets fan right now, knowing that Steve Cohen promised a championship in five years, and I know they retooled, right, over the deadline trading Verlander, trading Scherzer, getting that farm system to look a little bit better so they can be more agile in the market. However, this 2024 Mets team without Kodai Senga could be a disaster. It could be a disaster. And I feel for my Mets fans. I feel for you guys. This is torture. I mean, I hate to smile, but like this is legitimate arson. It's like someone's burning <laughs> down your house room by room. It's like, I just spent $300 million on this house. Right Now the bathroom has a break. My car just broke down. And the rest of the neighborhood, they're all $200 million houses with great looking cars and great bathrooms. For now. Yours is on fire. For now. For yeah, now. but like, it's February. <laughs> yours, yours shouldn't be on fire. Um, be on fire. As of right now, Roster Resource has Quintana, <laughs> Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, Adrian Hauser, Tyler McGill. Hauser looks like okay. a big pickup right now. Huge. huge. Adrian Hauser, huge. Man, oh, and no. like oh, swingman, no. swingman, all you want. <laughs> 93 oh, no. all you want. Sevy is so big this so year. Big. I mean, Dude. if Sevy is not good and if Sevy is unavailable, this can turn into worse year than 2023 very quickly. Wait, Dave Stearns just texted me, yo, we need you in the five spot. What does that mean? Vassal and Christian Scott are guys that we've talked about on the call-up, and Arm brought them up on the last Just Baseball show on the mailbag. They're going to get a chance early this year. Sanga, I did see a quote from Sanga earlier. He said, quote, at this point, I'm not going to be able to perform at the highest level, so giving it a little bit of time is the right move. It clearly doesn't sound serious. There's been an MRI, and and he 
wasn't sounding the alarms like that even after the MRI. So you have to assume that Sanga is back. But if he misses a month, you know, can you get through that month? The Mets have zero interest in winning the NL East this year. I, I think that's already become clear. Um, if they were in that They're position, like, oh, great. They're above the tax threshold. So basically every move they make, they're paying 40 cents more on the dollar, right? Yeah. Like every deal they spend is basically like 150%, right? So if you sign yeah. for 10 million, it's like you're spending another five. But based on the rhetoric from Steve Cohen, based on the rhetoric from David Stearns, do you think they view themselves as World Series contenders this year? No, they already said that this was a assessment year. year. Yeah, sure. bridge year, assessment year. What are you year. assessing right now? Are you assessing? You're assessing Brett Beatty. You're assessing Mark yeah. Vientos. If Does this Alvarez is a bridge year, I need more to assess. Of course, he's your starting catcher for the future. I mean, that's already been decided. What How are about, you assessing here? Assessing if Pete Alonso is good, Vassal Scott, Drew Gilbert, if he seems ready are, enough, le- Acuna. Are these legit arms. I mean, we'll these are see. also like. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Right? You need to assess I, them to decide if they're legit arms or not. I seem like such a dickhead. I'm a Yankee fan in a Phillies hat, ripping on the bats. Yeah, welcome to the assessment <laughs> year. What the hell? I'm sorry. I am oh. sorry, Mets fans. You do not deserve this. This is cruel. This is this is the Lord above being like, you'll never be happy, unfortunately. And I want you to be happy. But I just don't think the stars are aligned for the Mets. Yeah, they could unfortunately be. not. But this uh, is a disaster. This is a disaster. Love it. We are going to get into corner outfield in a moment, but... Uh, we do have to tell you about an appearance that Aram will actually be making uh, in the beginning of March. eBay is teaming up with Onyx to put on a spring training kickoff live stream event in Phoenix on March 2nd and 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Aram will be there. It's going to be an insane event. you got exclusive one-of-one cards auctioned off on eBay Live and future MLB studs like Jackson Chorio, Matt Shaw, Dalton Rushing, Drew Thorpe of the Padres now and more will be on the eBay Live. So be sure to tune in again March 2nd and 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Lucky buyers of the exclusive one-of-one cards that will be auctioned off get a custom inscription from the player, which makes it truly a -a one-of-a-kind collectible. portion of all proceeds will be donated to the Organization of Autism Research, which provides research to better the quality of life for people with autism. Check out the link in our bio and check the Just Baseball socials a little bit later on, especially next week. For more information, we would love to see you there in Phoenix, March 2nd and 3rd on behalf of eBay. Corner outfield in a moment for that quick break. The top 10 corner outfielders in baseball for the 2024 MLB season Reminder that we did rank in honorable mention and 15 corner outfielders. We're not going to give you the honorable mentions in 15 through 11 on this podcast. You got to go read Tim Kelly's awesome write-up on JustBaseball.com for that. But we are going to give you the top 10. I've got evens. You've got odds. You've got evens. I've got odds. Shall we jump in? Number 10 is Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs, 29-year-old Ian Happ. I had him 11. You had him 11. He was in the 9 to 12 range for pretty much everybody. But Ian Happ played all the time for the Cubs last year, and he slashed 248, 360, 431. 21 homers, 84 driven in, 14 stolen bases. 
Ian Happ was a three and a half win player. He's got a gold glove in left. He did perform not great in outs above average, but he did have two defensive runs saved. Regardless, the bat is the calling card for this guy, even off of a gold glove, a 118 WRC plus. Ian Happ is not sexy by any stretch, but he is a reliable switch hitter that is a well above average hitter. And I feel great writing him on the lineup card every day as the two hitter or the five hitter and the left fielder. We talked about this before we pressed the record button on this show. Ian Happ is like a Michelob Ultra. It's the beer that you keep ordering at the bar. It's not your favorite beer. But when you look at your statement, maybe not a lot of people are looking at what type of beer they got at the bar over an entire year. I don't either. I'm not pretending to do so. But I bet if you did, a Michelob Ultra might be your most ordered beer. But where would you rank it? 10 on your favorite beers? Probably. But you keep ordering it. And that's why I like Ian Happ. Every single year, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get about 20 bombs. I'm going to get about 10 to 15 steals. I'm going to get a 120 WRC plus, And I'm going to get anywhere from three to four war because he plays good defense. He's just so solid. Nobody ever thinks about Ian Happ because he doesn't make that amazing play that puts him on Sports Center. But every day shows up to the ballpark and does his job. He's so solid. And that goes under the radar, right? When you're ranking guys, you want to rank the guy with so much more potential or the guy who flies around, the more exciting guy. I want Ian Happ in my corner more than basically every corner outfielder that's beyond the top 10. I, I agree with the ranking. I think <laughs> he should nine. be in this. Oh, but nine. No, I, what I'm saying is I agree with this ranking, and it may seem high, right? Unless you're a Cubs fan and you know what you're getting because you don't see him much and you might not care, but he is good. Well, he wasn't making lists. I saw what, like MLB Network didn't have him on the top 10 left fielders. What are we doing? I mean, it's just, that's ridiculous. That's not like, that's not fair to anybody because he's on the field all the time. He's playing a good defensive left field and he's hitting well above average. Do yeah. you know how hard it is to find like good corner production on every major league team? You're telling me that this guy doesn't crack the top 10 left fielders? He won a gold glove in 22. They ranked Shohei Otani fourth on MLB Network Top 100. I mean, yeah, but we, like, what are you going to compare do? our list to? That. No, no, like, what are you going to do, Peter? Because, like, frankly, Shohei Otani, the DH, the non two way player, is not the number one player in baseball for 2024. He, he's the best player in baseball. I'm ranking him number one. He's a DH. It doesn't matter. He's Shohei Otani. Like, I'm going to rank him number one. It doesn't matter. He's the the most talented player. And maybe, yes, he won't be pitching you're this year he won't it doesn't be, matter he won't be the highest war accumulator in baseball this year how do we know that because he's a da you're hitting we don't know that we're just assuming that based on what we've seen from the last 100 years of major league baseball but, but this guy transcends that i i'm not gonna say he can't lead all of major league baseball in war as a dh what if he hits 50 bombs steals 25 bags and it's 300 that is not out of the ordinary shohei otani Put up a 180 WRC plus last year and had to leave the mound because he was getting Tommy John. Don't you think that there was something wrong with his elbow while he was hitting two? No, there is there is nothing that could take me away from Otani at number one. But this isn't about Otani. This is about Ian Happ, the Michelob Ultra of baseball players. <laughs> a great beer I have all the time. Give me number nine. The number nine corner outfielder in Major League Baseball is Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's back. 19 bombs, 28 steals, a 4.1 F4, and he even played solid defense. Jack, we all rank 
you know, the top 15 corner outfielders, right? There's a panel just for everybody, you know, who have maybe watching this for the first time. Shout out to YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts that don't know that we have a panel, right? So you and I ranked him seventh. You and I and Aram all ranked him seventh. Colby ranked him 14th. That's why he's at number nine on this list. I would have definitely put him higher. This is a guy that was a perennial MVP candidate from 2018 to 2019. Yelich slash 327, 415, 631s with 80 bombs in those two years. Signed a big contract and looked as if it was going downhill. But we saw when he's healthy, he's still the man. And as long as he's healthy, which we assume he is, he's still the man. I think nine is a little bit too low, but outside of Colby, definitive top 10 corner outfielder. Yeah, lower back is the thing for Yelich. He had a nagging lower back issue that in turn just threw his entire game out of whack because his swing is so dependent on the entirety of his body. I also like that you said perennial MVP candidate from 2018 to 2019, so perennial over the course of those two years. Um, Yelich, I'm, I'm not a word. I'm not a wordsmith. Fair. I'm a ball. You're knower, a ball. And I wasn't. I wasn't wrong. No, not wrong at all. <laughs> at all. Um, what I will say about Yelich is I have no idea how much corner outfield he will play this year. He might just be the everyday DH for the Brewers. That may be the best thing for him. Like, just focus on the bat, focus on staying healthy, like get off your feet for 90 minutes a night. Like, that's awesome for Christian Yelich. His value doesn't tank by any stretch defensively, but he's not a good defensive outfielder. Um, having yeah. said all that, when this guy's right, even when he was wrong, frankly, he would hit some balls where I'm like, yeah, he's back. And we were just begging and begging and begging for the course of, honestly, got three years. It was like, where is he? Where did you go? And we got a taste of him being back. Clearly, it wasn't, you know, 40 homers, 30 bags and, you know, hitting 300 like like he was. But he w was good enough to scratch that itch of Yelly being back. Still put up a 370 on base percentage, was one home run away from 20 and two stolen bases away from 30. So he was, I mean, it's still pretty damn good, right? And if yeah. we get him in a DH role more often this year, healthier, he could put up a four and a half win season, right? He could hit 25 bombs, steal 30 bags. I would be surprised at all. Dog. 2019 Christian Yelich hit 329 with 44 homers and 30 for 32 in the stolen base department. Oh, I miss that man. I that miss was one him of my favorite so players. Much. I he think was... he's still relatively here. I think I still think we're going to get 75th percentile of that this season. I hope so. Damn, I hope so. All right, number eight is Randy Arozarena of the Tampa Bay Rays, and Randy, like, yeah, he's 29 years old. Call it like I, I don't even know what the narrative around Randy Arozarena is right now. Just know that this guy is really freaking good at this game. Randy Arozarena, like negative six outs above average, four defensive run saves. I think he's fine in the corner. He hit 255, but he had a 365 OBP. He had 23 homers. He had 22 bags, a 120, pardon, a 126 WRC plus, and he put up a 3.3 win season. Randy is becoming very solid for me. And you think, oh, because he's got a flair for the dramatic and he's exciting and he's, you know, so easy to root for. He plays a sexy brand that he's going to be volatile. Frankly, he's anything but volatile. 
he proves to be consistently strong. But man, like when Randy's going right, there, there's nothing like that show in our game. I just wonder, can he ever put together a season where he looks like that for a full 162? I think we're learning year by year that the answer may be no, but the baseline is just so strong. I've compared Carlos Correa to Jimmy Butler. For NBA fans, they know that Jimmy Butler in the regular season is solid, and then in the postseason, he turns into one of the best players alive. A much better comparison for Jimmy Butler is Randy Rosarina. But the reason I ranked Randy below a guy like Christian Yelich is you said that Randy is a fine defender. I would actually classify him as one of the worst corner outfielders when it comes to defense. The numbers would back that up. And there were so many times during the regular season where you turn on a Rays game and, you know, there's a lack of effort out there in left field. Like there were plenty of balls where, you know, they dropped in front of him where I thought, Randy, you can get that baseball or behind him. Randy, you can get that baseball or throwing home. And it just looks lackadaisical. It looks like sometimes his concentration isn't there as a defender. I feel the same way about Ron Acuna Jr., right? Like, you're better than what you're showing. It looks like a lack of concentration rather than a lack of talent. Like, Kyle Schwarber, I don't think it's a lack of concentration. It's a lack of talent. Guys like Randy, guys like Ron Acuna Jr., you need to be able to play better defensive corner outfielder, and they just haven't, right? And while the bats are similar, right, what Randy did last year to Christian Yelich, that's why I ranked him, because I think Christian Yelich is actually a better defender and I think there's potentially more upside in the bat, but I understand Randy being a little bit higher because you get him in the postseason and he's box office. We saw him well, in the World Baseball Classic. He took the world by storm in every postseason. He goes nuts. Andy never stinks. That, that's the thing, man. Yeah. Like people really, I think, underrate Randy's ability to get on base and offer a nice blend of power and speed. Does he get caught more than anybody in baseball is trying to swipe back? Yes, he does. But it, it, like, it's not often you get a blend of power and speed. Like We take 2020 for granted now, but this guy's a, a 2020 threat all the time. And like teams only have one or two of those guys per roster. Like There may be, what, 30 guys in baseball that are a 2020 threat? Maybe a couple more? Maybe less. I don't know. Like Volpe was 2020. You know what I mean? Like You got to start clumping guys like Volpe in there. You forget, yeah. You no, forget no, Volpe that, was 2020. So I, no, I do I, think you do. Right, like I do think there's probably 30 to 40 guys that are 2020 threats. And Randy is a 2020 threat all the time. Interesting also to note that he raised his average exit velo by about two miles an hour. So he was hitting the ball harder, way harder than he was in 2022. He also cut the ground ball rate big time, elevated the fly ball rate. So he's hitting the ball harder. He's lifting more. We could see the best power season of Randy's career coming in 2024. That's the thing, though. It didn't result in more slug, right? You're talking about those things, you know, not putting the ball on the ground is more, raising the exit velo, but his slugging percentage was actually of the last three seasons, right? His last three full seasons, it was the lowest of his career, which I found interesting, right? Those didn't translate to more slug. I wonder if they do this year, right? Because when you look at his expected slugging percentage, it was a little bit higher at 435 compared to 425, but it wasn't all the way there yet. wonder if the Rays are able to unlock a little bit more in this season. And then if they do, right, he still hit 23 home runs last year. Could he get up to 30? 
Probably not, but could he be higher than 23? I think so. Shall see. Num- number seven on the top 10 corner outfielder list is Brandon Nimmo of the New York Mets. Now, Brandon Nimmo, from reports, is going to play a lot more left field because Harrison Bader is slated to be the Mets starting center fielder on opening day. So we moved him from the center field list to the corner outfield list, and he landed at number seven. All right. So again, when you look at the article on justbaseball.com, you'll see the ranks as him as a center fielder. We kind of had to just push him to where we all thought. We thought he was a little bit better than Randy Rosarina because I think he is a better defender. And with the bat, he put up a higher WRC plus. He actually hit more home runs, didn't steal as many bags, but put up a 4.3 F war compared to Randy at 3.3. So when I look at Brandon Immo, at first, like a couple of years ago, you were always kind of worried, like, is this guy staying healthy enough to be considered one of the better corner outfielders or center fielders in Major League Baseball, right? Because on the field, he was always good. It's just the availability was always a concern. Last two seasons, he's been on the field every day. And if he can continue that, right, if I have back-to-back seasons of 150 games or more, I'm happy, especially with this guy getting on base as much as he does. Also, Brandon Immo is your classic, takes a walk and then sprints down the first baseline. Some people find that cringy. I don't. I love the grittiness from Brandon Immo right there. So I enjoy watching Brandon Immo play baseball. And he could do a lot of everything, right? He has more power than you might think, right? 24 home runs. You don't think that from Brandon Immo, but he's got that in his bag. He's got plenty of OBP, right? He's a 363 on base guy. Slugs 40 points higher than Randy, 466. Played good defense. He's just a really good player. He's like if you just gave Ian Happ a little bit more juice. And made him a little weirder. Like, hey, that's a thing. little weird. I don't I don't think he's cringy. I just think he's weird. He's from Wyoming. Like he might just be odd, which is okay. I'm fine with odd. I'm fine with weird, and I'm fine with Wyoming as a place. Uh Brandon Nimmo is a very exciting center fielder, I think, in a non-conventional way. You you hear exciting center fielder, you think diving catches, you think you know 40-40 threat, you think Matt Kemp when you think exciting center fielder. That's not what I'm doing with Nimmo and him moving to left. I think the, the idea of the baseline production being so ridiculously high is exciting to me, where you know he's going to walk all the time. Yes, Ian Happ with more juice. But, man, it's it's the Corbin Carroll thing, where Carroll was a center fielder, and then they moved him to left, and he got even better. Quan, center fielder, they moved him to left, he got even better. It is a much higher profile guy, one that has already gotten his bag. But this guy proved to be a good center fielder, much like Carroll and Quan were. Move him to left, he could be a great left fielder defensively. Brennan Emmo is also a big game defender seen plenty of Mets games where he makes the play that you gotta make, right? Robbing the home run or the diving catch with two outs and runners and on on the pond, right? You need that catch. Brandon Immo was always there. Always there. Now you move him over to left field. You got Harrison Bader, who is a great defender in center field, as long as he can stay healthy. And it's also, it's tough to say, yeah, Harrison Bader is going to give you 150 games this season. So I'm sure Brandon Immo is still going to play some center field too, but that speaks to his versatility that he can do both. I think he'd be a very good defensive left fielder I think he's a solid defensive center fielder who always makes the big defensive play right yeah I like Brandon Nemo I think he's one of the best players on the Mets like him too man and he's paid like one he's absolutely compensated like one 
All right. Number six. Number six is Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers. And Adolis Garcia has proven to be one of the more menacing power bats in baseball. And we are totally hitting a new echelon here because this guy is an elite defensive right fielder. You will never move Adolis Garcia. My pitch on the Texas Rangers this year is like a volleyball line, like a volleyball substitution pattern where, you know, everybody like moves around, right? You got Lankford, Carter, Leote, and Adolis. Don't move Adolis from right field. Don't listen to me, please. It should be Leote in center, Carter in left, Lankford is the DH, and Adolis Garcia in right. This guy in right field, six defensive runs safe, two outs above average, but it's the Batman. He slugged over 500. He hit 240, but he had 39 homers and 107 driven in. And because he is that insane power threat, and because he is an elite defensive right fielder, Adolis Garcia put up a 4.8 win season last year. And frankly, that may go nowhere. <laughs> like I expect him to be a four-win player at the very least this year. And then when you get him in the postseason, like we just saw, box office I mean he is a must watch at bat and not because he's going to give you an incredible plate discipline right he's not the you know greatest worksman of an at bat right we're still looking at a 245 batting average and a 328 OBP but we're looking at a slugging percentage over 500 because when he puts bat to ball the thing goes ballistic right he's got donkey pop he is a menace of a man he's so much fun to watch play because he does make those great plays in the outfield, and then he comes up to the plate, and he's first pitch swinging, and he's trying to go yard. That is a very, very fun player to watch. Now, I think the reason, right, he doesn't rank higher on this list is because the top five is unbelievable. And if you're a Texas Ranger fan, we're about to get into the fifth best player, and you're going to be like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. So I think this is a perfect spot for him, right? When we look at our panel, all of us had him six. Leo had him seven. Holby had him eight. Right, so we're all on the same Kobe's, page. Kobe's just a silly here. goose, man. He's just kind he of he has no idea what he's talking about. It's crazy. Um, I'm also curious too. You said that you'd put Langford at DH. I think Leody's going to the bench. I think you're figuring out a way to put Langford in center or Evan Carter in center. But why? We, when you have the DH, I, we're style. not putting Wyatt because Langford can play defense. Yeah, but so can Leody. Yeah, but. We'll see if Leody is really that guy, right? He had one good season. We'll see. And it was really on the – I think it was more of a first-half thing. And then he didn't show up in the playoffs either, really. And he has no real history of defender. doing this. But, like, take a look at the organizational depth there. Like, you want Travis yeah, Jankowski. Yeah, whatever they want. Yeah, you want Travis Jankowski DHing because you got to get Langford in center? Pretty I sure would Travis rather... Jankowski is gone. Or, uh, no, they brought Jankowski back. They did? Yes. Well, good for them. Yeah, like I just don't think they need to shove Jankowski back in the DH spot. I, when you've got Langford to DH, why not just have Leody play center? What do you think about the Rangers this year? Um, and a very overarching question. I like. Yeah, that's broad. it's like I I see the offense, and it's like the same thing. I see the bullpen, and we saw what they did in the postseason. But I'm just still concerned about the starting pitching oh. I, without Jamont. And if I'm not getting a healthy DeGrom and Scherzer was just looking on his last legs at the end of the season, like, what does this rotation look like? Are they in your, oh, yeah, they could definitely repeat as World Series champions. I'm not so sure right now. Like, so, obviously, they're going to be in the hunt, but I'm not penciling them in, right? Like, I'm pretty excited about the Mariners. I'm pretty excited about the Astros. I don't know where I'm penciling them in right now. 
I've got a lot of questions about their bullpen. Um, I think Leclerc is a setup guy masking as a closer. Thought Hader was the perfect fit for them. Um, it's interesting that you win the World Series and everybody's immediately talking about an upgrade at closer when Leclerc was good in the postseason. But over the course of 162 and an additional 30 in the postseason or an additional 20 in the postseason, I think that that guy can be an elite setup guy, but just a good closer. It's like Alzali. I think Alzali kind of same thing, like good closer, but elite setup guy. Um, I also Robert's- think... Yeah, I also think they're one of those teams that looks better once they sneak into the postseason, right? Because postseason baseball and regular season baseball are different. They're different, right? So if you can get two or three great starters, three back end guys who can close the door, and then you just hit better than everybody else, you can just beat your way through series, kind of like they did last year. Except the pitching was so elite at the top. I just don't know if they have that pitching at the top. I think, like, I don't think they win 90 games this year, but if they sneak into the postseason, they could still win a World Series. That's how kind of I view this team. So if I'm down on them in the regular season and they sneak into the playoffs, I'll probably be hopping back on depending on the starting pitching situation. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like the All-Star break, you look to add DeGrom, Malley, and possibly Scherzer, so then that creates DeGrom, Ivaldi, Malley, Scherzer, Gray. As a five, I know it's like, it's like, what does that look like? Like we're saying, all those names sound great, but what does that truly look? They're like? old. Like, farts. We're saying Degrom comes back is. I mean, are we expecting him to just be lights out. Yes, again? actually, I fully am. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to, but I don't know. It's just they're one of the most interesting teams this offseason, and I'm very excited to watch what happens. Yeah, but let's talk number five. Number five on the list is Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros, a dynamo. Good at everything. Hits for power, 29 bombs. Is flies around the base pass, 30 stolen bases. Great defender. Put up a 4.9 F4. 284, 369, 517, 112 driven in. This is exactly what you want, right? I mean, this guy, if he was on the open market right now at age 27 years old, he'd probably be a 10-year, $250 million guy. Maybe more, right? Kyle Tucker is one of the best players on one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. There's nothing he does wrong. What's your favorite recreational beer? Favorite recreational beer? He's a Stella to me. Or Corona with a lime on the beach. Medella. Just, you know, it's not one of these $20 cocktails, which you may prefer more. But it's as good of a beer as you want on the beach. Kyle Tucker's a $300 million player. He might be. Yeah. He's going to be a $300 million player. Mitch, he was a homer away from a 30 30 season. He led the American League in RBIs. He is a top flight defensive right fielder. And it's not like he punches out all the time at all. Do you have the K rate in front of you? I bet it's like 14%, 13, 14%. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'll, 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 I'll look it up real quick. I, I can. He doesn't strike out. He walk like there's nothing wrong with his game. Now it's not Gowdy, right? It's not a Cunha where it's 40 70, but it's 30 30. And it's just every day, relentless, shows up every day, available. Just such a sound player. Kyle, Kyle Tucker has a 13.5% K rate, a 12% walk rate, both of which well above average. Tucker, the, the league average K rate 
is 22.8%. This guy was 9% below that last year. The league average walk rate is 8.5%. He walked 12% of the time. And oh, by the way, his average exit velocity was over 90 miles an hour. So he's hitting the ball hard. He's not punching out. He's walking. He's a 30-30 guy, and he's playing elite defense in right. And he's young. $300 million. And he doesn't struggle against lefties. Right, he's a lefty bat. He actually had a 934 OPS against lefties last year, slash 300, 367, 567 against lefties, 859 OPS against righties. And he so doesn't put in, yeah. and he doesn't wear batting gloves. You're not going to put in that lefty reliever and think to yourself, oh, yeah, this is what's going to get Kyle Tucker. He's, he's arguably better, kind of like what Jordan does in the postseason. And he didn't even have a great first half to give him this great 30 30 season, right? Put up an 836 OPS in the first half, which is good. But for Kyle Tucker standards, we'd like to see a little bit more. And that's exactly what he did in the second half. 952 OPS, 578 slug. This is exactly who you want as a baseball player. Yes, bingo. He's near perfect. Uh, number four is as close to damn perfect as you could possibly find, too. The fourth best corner outfielder in baseball is Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Carroll, I was expecting to be a center fielder, not the case. Alec Thomas is a better defensive center fielder. Makes a ton of sense, especially in that spacious outfield. They've got pretty much, if you take out Lourdes Curiel Jr., if they put out their best defensive alignment in the outfield, it would probably be Carroll in left, Thomas in center, Gritchick in right. And you've got three guys that can play passable center field in all three of those outfield spots. Corbin Carroll is... A good left fielder. I know the metrics are are so-so on him, right? It's negative three defensive run save, but four outs above average. Corbin Carroll hit about 290. He had an OBP over 360. He slugged over 500. For a guy that's that small and that slight, 25 homers, 54 stolen bases, a 133 WRC+. Plus. And this guy was a unanimous rookie of the year because he put up a six-win season in his rookie year. He's going to walk backwards into a five-win season every year with a chance for way more. 25, okay. I think this guy can hit 30 homers, and he can swipe 60 backs. If anybody, nobody's going to get to 40-70, and we're going to talk about 40-70 in a moment, but a guy that can get to 30-60, that guy is Corbin Carroll. Yeah, he's like the closest thing to Ronald Acuna Jr. in that way. Yes. In terms of those, maybe we're going to talk about two and three, and those guys are definitely in the discussion. But if we're just talking about home runs and stolen bases, this is as good as you're going to get to a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. Yes. I mean, it's just so cool, right? We were all over the Diamondbacks last year as our team, right? Over 74 and a half. We all bet um, Corbin Carroll to win rookie of the year. It's not like we knew this was coming because I didn't envision 25 home runs and 54 stolen bases. And then once we get to the postseason and he finally locks in, he can't get out. And he's a great defender. I put Kyle Tucker ahead of him just because Kyle Tucker has done it more and is also unbelievably good. Yeah, But I'm fine having him here too because there's no holes in the game. And there's no reason to believe that it can't get better, right? The reason we were so high on him 
is because he was showing off 470-foot home runs in the minor leagues as a 5'8 guy. Yeah, 5'8. I think he's 5'10. Like, this was supposed to be a speedster, great defender. 25 home runs in his, like, really first full season. That's what he does, though. It's Like, he won rookie of the year. This was his rookie year. We have so much more to dream on with this guy. And I think, really, it's only going to get better as he gets more reps. Yeah. He's a scary player to go up against because you never know how he's going to beat you. Is he going to beat you with that great catch? Is he going to beat you running first to home on a double and getting there easily? Is he going to swipe second to be that key run? Is the bottom of the lineup finally gets on, then he hits the home run. He's just overwhelming. He's an overwhelming player for other teams to go against. He's a game changer. I like the way you put that because he can flip a game on its head in so many different ways. And he truly embodies the term game changer. And I just don't understand why he finished with negative three defensive runs saved. I didn't see I don't, any of them. Calculations that, that's wrong. Real. It's just that's wrong. not real. And four outs above average, that's bullshit. He's way better than that. <laughs> so I'm not paying any attention. But number three on the list is Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres, the Platinum Glove Award winner and deserved every penny of that or whatever the term is for penny. What's platinum? You know what I'm talking about. 29 defensive runs saved. We talked about how good Dansby Swanson is, right? 18 defensive runs saved. How about Kevin Kiermaier? We know how great he is defensively. 18 defensive runs saved. What about Brian Hayes, right? Everybody's favorite defender in Major League Baseball. He had 21 last year. Andres Jimenez, second to Tatis at 23. Fernando Tatis Jr. transitioned from shortstop to right field and became the best defender, not just in a corner, in Major League Baseball last season by the numbers. Is he going to replicate that? There's no reason to believe that he can't. This is a freak athlete that comes along every 10 years, right? And we can talk about so many things. Tatis has passed, right? A steroid issue, riding motorcycles and breaking the wrist. (laughs) I can understand why people out there may not like that he's this high. But I also think that Fernando Tatis enjoyers might think he's too low, even at number three. This guy, while fully healthy, and if he's playing 162 games, I think could be a 40-40 guy with elite defense in a corner. That puts you easily in the top five players. That puts you in the MVP conversation, no doubt about it. That can win you an MVP, right? We could see in, we saw Acuna and Mookie, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Eh, not Mookie anymore. But we we can f- see an 8.3 to 8.5 win season for Tatis comparatively to those two who did it last year. And I could even see a nine win season. I think that highly of him. I'm not worried about the steroids. It's obviously in the past. I'm not worried about the wrist thing anymore. I think that this was a eye-opening experience for a young guy. And America is the land of second chances. <laughs> Give this man a second chance if you're a hater. Because once you get over that and you turn on a San Diego Padres game, he's fine. you're going to smile from ear to ear from inning one to inning nine watching this man play. I am never going to ding someone for not forgiving a steroid user. Never. I I totally understand if you want to hold it against him for the rest of his career because he cheated and he did it, 
you know, via artificial strength. Like, okay. Um, what I will say is we can, he just turned 25 and we can still appreciate what he does clean, despite the fact that there is an asterisk next to his name years moving forward. Like this guy's getting tested. He's years moving forward will be clean and you have to appreciate the clean threat for 40, 40. And, and we've seen the clean 40, 40 from Ronald Acuna. We saw well, I think 40, 40 from a couple of steroid users. He like, we can't view what he does moving forward as tainted because he is a steroid user. No, he was, and he got popped, and he's not doing it anymore. I thought the transition from a shortstop with a myriad of defensive questions to a platinum glove right fielder was like one of the craziest stories that not many people wanted to talk about last year. The fact that he does have that platinum glove hardware in his living room to show people it's like, yeah, I did this in year one of playing the corner outfield. That is amazing. And, and the fact that this guy had a 320 OBP, which I think is what in turn docked his war. He was a four and a half win player because he frankly didn't get on base that much. 322 OBP OPS was I think like 770 ish around 750. A lot lower than I thought because the OBP really suffered. Yeah. The OBP sucked. And like, the slug was, you know, 80 points lower than it typically had been because he only hit 25 homers and he only swiped 29 bags at a very high efficiency. He, after a year of injury and personal turmoil, came back and flirted with 30-30 and won a platinum glove. He may never have a clean head again, but if he gets anywhere close to having a clean head, 40-40 in MVP in his future. He's younger than Adley Rutschman. Yes. Like, put that in perspective, too. Right? This is a 25-year-old. Isn't he younger than Gavin Stone? <laughs> is he? Is Gavin Stone that old? I mean, he's 25. I didn't know he's 25. Yeah, he's younger than River Ryan. Yeah, he's younger than Gavin Stone. He's younger than River Ryan, who people want to shove into the top 20 prospects in baseball. Dodger right-hander. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here, people. Like, let's see what he does in his age 25 season this year. I think it's going to be MVP level Fernando Tatis Jr. And, you know, you could disagree with, with me or Jack, and, you know, you could hate on him, but we're just going to have to see, right? The proof will be in the pudding. And I saw enough last year for me to fully buy in for this year. Yeah. Time for two? Time for number two. Number two, there shouldn't be much surprise here. It's Juan Soto of the now New York Yankees. And Juan Soto is the modern day Ted Williams. He's walking more than everybody. He's striking out less than he's walking. He is a bad defender. We know that. Don't care. His offensive profile is unfreaking believable. He graded out in the way negative defensively, and he still put up a five-and-a-half win season. Why? Because he had 35 homers, drove in 109, hit 275, which was kind of the low point for him, with a 410 OBP. He led Major League Baseball in walks, and he had a 155 WRC+. Juan Soto is next level. He is mature beyond his years. He's something we've never seen before offensively, and he's going to be compensated appropriately. There were times last year where he lacked protection in that Padre offense, which is why he was walking all the time. There were points with the Nats where he lacked a bunch of protection. I mean, we talked about it going into the 2022 season 
where it was like, nobody's protecting him. Why would anybody throw to Juan Soto? Guess what? He led Major League Baseball in walks. He's got Aaron Judge around him now, and he's got complementary pieces like Anthony Rizzo and Glaber Torres and maybe DJ LeMahieu and Anthony Volpe. Man, Juan Soto in a protected lineup could be something, again, we've never seen before. I think Yankees fans should be as excited to get Juan Soto as they were back in 2000 and what was it four or five when they got Alex Rodriguez? It's That's for a year. I will I know, say no, it's I know. For I'm a just year. saying the overall excitement for a player of that type of caliber. Yeah. And you're probably thinking to yourself, like, Peter, that was an insane thing to say. Just shut up, dude. Let's go through WRC plus since he started with the Washington Nationals back in 2018 as a 19-year-old. That season, put up a 146 WRC+. Remember, 100 is league average. So he's 46% better than the league average hitter at 19. What about at 20? When pitchers normally adjust to you, right? Not When you're generational like a Julio Rodriguez, like your sophomore slump, per se. 143 WRC+, with 34 home runs. 2020, shortened season, right? 202 WRC plus 2021 still with the nationals zero protection hit 313 and by the way in 2020 at 351 but of a 164 WRC plus between two teams right bouncing around right trade rumors he's in the news every day hard to focus 145 WRC plus 2023 155 WRC plus 35 bombs in a place that is hard to hit home runs in this is a generational hitter. This is a hitter that does not come around often. And if we're talking about availability, he's played 150 games every year of his career outside of his first year where he came up, right, as a 19-year-old and then in 2020. Yep. So he's available, 35 bombs, he's going to lead the league in walks, and he's going to give you a 150 WRC plus, kind of at the minimum. And now you get him in the short porch, I do not give a fuck about his defense. Stop it with that. Well, and stop very, it. Anybody very care small about, outfield. Does anybody care about Jordan's defense? Why are we holding Soto so accountable for corner defense? Like he was a Gold matters. Glove finalist when he sucked. Like if he wasn't and a Gold Glove finalist, be. it was whatever. I agree. I agree. It's also it's also be, the right? one thing that gets under people's skin. They have nothing to complain about offensively and natural human instinct is to bitch and moan about something. Exactly. This guy, you could make the argument is a better overall hitter than Aaron judge. I wouldn't make that argument, but I think that's well within our rights to say that Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, Shohei Otani, like Racuna, all these guys are the top five hitters in major league baseball. Now the Yankees have two of them. Now the rest of the lineup, We'll see what happens, right? I'm not talking about how, you know, Glaber's the third best hitter, and then you got some question marks here. Right. But just those two. I mean, how do we not think about the incredible duos of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig? Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio. Like, how do we, it hasn't happened I know yet. it hasn't we'll happened see. yet, but it it you can understand the excitement coming out of the Bronx. This is exactly the player who I've always wanted on the Yankees. This is the perfect Yankee. And now I hope... He loves it here. He seems to already love it, and I hope the Yankees give him whatever he wants after this year when he hits 40 home runs, hits 300, and puts up a 170 WRC+.
We shall see. Um, one more thing before you get into number one. No Aaron Judge on this list. Aaron Judge is a center fielder. Verdugo is in left. Soto is in right. Judge is in center. He will be ranked as a center fielder. Now number one. Number one, as if you didn't know who it already was, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. 41 home runs, 73 stolen bases. Let's end the podcast. It just is what it is. Plug the merch. 3F4. MVP. 337. 416 OBP. 596 slugging. A 170 WRC+. plus. These are numbers that you hope to accomplish in your My Player on MLB The Show. These are numbers that we don't see in Major League Baseball history. This does not happen. 40-70, first time in MLB history. There are only a handful of players who've ever done 40-40. He did 40-70. I still have problems with the defense. And the reason I have problems with the defense, Braves fans, is we both know he's way better than what he's shown. He shouldn't be missing these easy fly balls. He shouldn't go to Coors Field and have no idea where the sun is and allow a bunch of them to just go way over his head or right in front of him. He should not be overthrowing the cutoff guy and have the ball sailing. It's a concentration thing. It's not a talent thing. I think he could truly, if he wanted to, walk out and be one of the best defenders in a corner that we have in Major League Baseball. He has a rifle, a rifle that normally is hitting 100 miles an hour. Probably not. But it looks like it, right? It's incredible arm speed. He's so fast. He can get to any ball he wants to. It's almost like those years where, you know, the top NBA players, right, aren't playing defense. Like, we know you could. We know you could if you wanted to. Especially Acuna at this age. It needs to be better. However, it's not taking him off the number one spot. Because Juan Soto can't go 40-70. No. He can't. Nobody can. He can get it 40. Ronald Acuna Jr. Ronald Acuna Jr. is the only man on the planet who can do 40-70. And maybe... And is the number one player who could do it in MLB history. Correct. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr., two quick things, and then I'll let you plug the merch. Uh, average exit velocity in Major League Baseball last year. Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna Jr., Shohei Otani, Maddles. That's So stupid. he's second. He had the hardest hit ball in Major League Baseball last year. It was a 3-0 pitch on the outside black from Emmett Sheehan in the mid-90s. And he hit at 121.7 miles an hour. To dead center at Dodger Stadium. And Ronald Acuna Jr., K rate by year, start 2018 his rookie year when he won National League Rookie of the Year 25%, 2019, 26%, 2020, 30% K rate, 2021, 23.5% K rate, 2022, 23.5%, 2023, 11.5% K rate. He was a career mid-20% K rate guy. He was striking out just above league average. He was striking out more than the average major league hitter. And he cuts it literally in more than half. He went from 24% to 11%. He's perfect. Just give a shit defensively. (laughs) He led in hits. He led in runs. He led in stolen bases. He led in OBP. He led in OPS. He led in OPS plus, and he led in total bases. Don't I say forget more? caught stealing. He led in caught stealing. He was caught more than anybody in baseball. That's why he's not zero. <laughs> That's what's taken him from zero to number one. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Just Baseball Show, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, can you smell it? 
Can you smell the popcorn? Can you smell the sunflower seeds? Can you smell the dirt? Can you smell the sunshine? Baseball is on the horizon, and we got you covered the entire way through. We got to start even thinking about five days a week soon, but that'll definitely be on opening day. Five days a week, the Just Baseball Show got you covered on everything, including college baseball as well. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. And again, if you did, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Hit us with a like. Hit us with a comment. What do you think about our list? Do you hate it? Do you love it? Do you think it's perfect? I do. Do you? Let us know in the comment section below. Hopefully, everybody has a great weekend. And in the meantime, go get yourself some Just Baseball merch. I mean, why not, right? Why not? It looks sick. And it's in the episode description. Yeah, it costs money, but it's going to be the best money you've ever spent. So go check it out in the episode description. For Jack McMullen, I am Peter Apple. Have a great weekend. And with that, thank you, everybody.